Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, June 18th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We get the Mayor's thoughts on what this year's edition of Canada Day should look like amid continuing discussions of reconciliation surrounding our country's former residential schools. Next, we head stateside. We get some insight into President Joe Biden's one-on-one meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin and get an update on the current situation down south in the battle against COVID-19. We catch up with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Canada's employment insurance program needs an overhaul to get people back to work full time. That's according to research from a Canadian think tank. We get details on the suggested changes from Colin Busby, research director with the Institute for Research on Public Policy. And finally, their goal is to be number one in the number two business. We speak with Matt Blanchfield, the co-owner and managing director of Cayley's Downtown. That location's new patio, the rooftop, is currently in the running for the Best Bathroom in Canada competition. It's been a busy week for City Hall with the state of emergency being lifted that we're hearing about. More details on that as well. The racist attacks in the city and discussions surrounding what Canada Day may look like this year. As we do on Fridays, we check in with the mayor for his reactions to all things Calgary. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, let's begin with your stance and viewpoints on Canada Day 2021. Should we pull the plug on this year's edition, modify perhaps what it looks like, or or just keep it as is? You know, I am, uh, as you know, very interested in reconciliation and anti-racism work. I'm also a very big fan of Canada Day. And I think that we, as as a people, are smart enough and thoughtful enough to be able to carry different things in our minds. You know, I come from a family that would be a racial and religious minority within a minority within a minority anywhere we were in the world. And frankly, there are a few places in the world where my family could have had the kind of lives that we had here in Canada. And that really is something to celebrate. And, you know, here in Calgary, we've always had a really big Indigenous portion of what we do on Canada Day. In fact, my favorite part of Canada Day is hanging out on Prince's Island at a giant Mm. powwow. And unlike most powwows, that powwow is filled with lots of non-Indigenous people uh, learning about Indigenous culture. And by the way, just down the road is a place where people get turbans tied on, uh, red and white turbans, to learn a little bit about Sikh culture uh, here for Canada Day. And I really love that. And I think that that's an important thing. And I understand fully people's deep concerns about some aspects of our history. But I say, why not acknowledge those on that day as well? And why not use that day as an opportunity to recommit ourselves towards even a better future for everyone? So that's my sense. Now, of course, this year, given that we don't really know where we're going to be with our safety protocols and so on, there's not going to be a lot going on for Mm -hmm. Canada Day in person. But next week, I'll be announcing uh, a pretty comprehensive virtual program uh, and I will tell you the one thing that will not be virtual uh, is the fireworks. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. All right. Okay. We'll be waiting for that one. And I do think, you know, just to touch on what you said, I think we can recognize more than one thing at a time and particularly on Canada Day, right? I, I really believe so. And, you know, I, I, I welcome, I really welcome the new awareness of reconciliation that's come after what happened in Kamloops. It's horrible and tragic but the fact that moms and dads are really feeling this viscerally in a way that we probably didn't feel before mm-hmm. is really important. But it doesn't mean that we give up everything. It means that we build upon 
uh, what is uh, part of this country, I think. I agree. And sort of on a related note, you know, you have been talking this week about racism and, and the incidents we've seen in Alberta and certainly here in Calgary. So your thoughts on that as well? Well, you know, we've certainly seen a massive increase in hate crimes, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, religious bigotry, uh, and out-and-out racism uh, over the last few years. And this should not be getting worse. Things should be moving in the other direction. And so we really have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? And listen, a big part of that, and I know you. we never talk about politics on this show or on the station, but maybe I will for a moment. Um, a big part of that is the fact that we've had politicians who have been playing footsie with this stuff for way too long. And you know what? Good for Michelle Rempel-Garner for admitting it. Good mm-hmm. for Tim Upal for admitting it and for saying they should never have done that. They shouldn't have stoked the fears of Islamophobia in the 2015 election. And, you know, a big brickbat for the premier now saying that, oh, I was never in charge in, in favor of a niqab ban when he was the one who, in fact, championed it. And, hey, you may recall there was one particular politician that he targeted um, as uh, his, as the person who we should all be opposed to. I think he said people like Nenshi should be opposed for their stance on this. And now he's saying he never did it. I mean, that's crazy. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, incredible. Hey, uh, we, we've got to, to take a quick break for traffic. Can we uh, keep you for two more minutes, Mayor? Absolutely. Mornings with Sue and Andy. And, yes, more with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Thank you for taking some more time with us, Mr. Mayor. Happy to be here. Um, want to give you some shine here. We got a texter who said, I don't always agree with our mayor, but he is 100% right on the opportunity to build when it comes to Canada Day. So I got to give you some praise there and some kudos. Um, Thank you. For your thoughts. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about, uh, we've had a texter past couple of days. Uh, I think they might be concerned about the congestion on city roads. Talking about the patios that we've seen expanding over the past few months due to the pandemic. The texter says they're fine with the pop-up patios for those restaurants who've never had one. But uh, the texter wants to know when we'll see the kind of dismantling of the extension of patios for those restaurants that already have an existing patio. I don't know if they're going to like the answer, Um, Uh which is that uh, we have actually found this to be a really successful thing for restaurants. We find that people just like to eat outdoors. And so they're not typically taking away any road space. They are taking away some parking space. uh, And ultimately, I'm not sure this is going to go away. I think that uh, this, uh, you know, ultimately the restaurants decide if they would rather have that parking spot out front or they'd rather have a few more tables outside. And so I think that this will likely continue. Uh, that said, um, uh, there, we had some problems with accessibility. You know, we wanted to make sure that you didn't have pedestrians crossing servers and people at the restaurant too much uh, in pandemic times. So I imagine that the future design of these things will be more along the lines of the patio will be in the parking spot mm. and the sidewalk will remain open so people don't have to go around and people in wheelchairs, particularly your elderly people, don't have to be inconvenienced. But ultimately, I think that these things have been very successful for the restaurants. Uh, we haven't really missed uh, those few parking spots that much. Uh, they People are still coming. So I suspect we're going to hold on to these uh, going forward. There's definitely been some good that has come out of this pandemic, and I would say that's one of them for sure. Uh, Mayor, we wanted to touch on, before we let you go, Neighbor Day, because, again, it's coming up pretty quickly. And uh, Tomorrow. Pe- people can have you dropping by if if you want. Yeah, um, as soon as we're done here, I'm doing a bunch of videos for people too, uh, but I'm still hoping to get out. For example, there's a big community cleanup uh, here in Northeast Calgary. 
and you can pick up materials at the Genesis Center at 9 a.m., and there's stuff going on around the city. Uh, and remember that under the current restrictions, you can have a little event if you don't want to just do a Zoom board game party. Um, you can have up to 20 people. Uh, just, you know, try to keep your distance. Wear masks if you can't. Uh, try not to share food, but you can have a backyard barbecue. You can get together and haul all the barbecues out to your local park with your neighbors, uh, all things like that. And I know stuff like that is going on throughout the community. And let's just remember that we started Neighbor Day to celebrate the community resilience after the flood. And boy, we've seen a lot of community resilience and a lot of people looking after one another this year. So it's a good chance to celebrate. I will tell you, I'm a bit sad because this will be my last Neighbor Day as mayor. And right. I love it so much. And, you know, I... My my poor my poor volunteers who work with me or my staff who work with me, we usually start around 7 a.m. and finish up around midnight, go to 30 or 35 events. And I'm sad I won't be able to do that one more time, but I know that people will celebrate. And it's a little late now, but what the heck, if you have an event you want me to drop in to, just hit calgarymayor.ca. And if we can fit it in, uh, I'll swing by, and hopefully it won't be raining too hard. Just want a quick clarification, because my ears perked out when you said the word barbecue. <laughs> um, so if there's a green space like in, in my community near my house or across the street, I would, would be able to, without penalty, set up a barbecue and do up some, uh, some burgers? Okay, you're, so you're supposed to book it. You okay. probably should can still do that today. But yeah, one of my favorite things about one of my favorite Neighbor Day events was one in um, southeast Calgary, I think it was in Auburn Bay, where that's exactly what happened everybody brought their barbecues to the local tot lot park and they all just hung out there and everyone grilled their own uh, it was pretty cool love it let's get together let's have some fun let's uh, show why this city is so fantastic thank you so much for joining us mayor have a great weekend thanks everybody stay safe happy neighbor day and we are indeed finishing strong get those second doses just like sue and andy and i have here here that is calgary mayor nahed nenshi thanks mayor President Joe Biden met with Russia's Vladimir Putin this week. So what came of the meeting and how are Americans reacting for that and more? We get the latest from Jackson Prosco, Global's Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning to you, Jackson. Happy Friday. Good, good morning and happy Friday. All right. What's happened? Uh, the meeting, it seemed to be, um, you know, not terribly friendly, a little tense, perhaps. So what came out of it? I think the takeaway is that nothing really came out of it, which uh, is perhaps not all that surprising. But the point is they got FaceTime with each other and the symbolism of Biden meeting with Putin directly after meeting with all the heads of NATO and previously the G7, I think was uh, intended to deliver to Putin a message that Biden is essentially speaking on behalf of the westernized world. And, you know, right after uh, we had the opportunity to hear the words of Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, about how the meeting went somewhat guarded. But did you get any nuggets from that? You know, I think he had a pretty pragmatic view of this, that this was not going to accomplish anything, that it was about establishing uh, a relationship and signaling what the U.S. wants out of that relationship with Russia. Uh, they have agreed to consult, using Vladimir Putin's words, uh, on the issue of cyber attacks, although Putin actually, uh, you know, sort of reverted to tactics of spreading misinformation and suggested that the majority of cyber attacks come from the U.S. <laughs> and Canada, which is not based on uh, any sort of reality. Um, but other than that, no, not a lot of progress. They are going to return their ambassadors to their respective embassies in Moscow and Washington. They've been yanked earlier this year, uh, but no general sign that things are headed for some sort of drastic immediate improvement. Doesn't seem like reality is often the case when uh, there are stories that come out about Vladimir Putin. Some uh, interesting things that he says for sure. Uh, let's uh, change gears a little bit and talk about the U.S. donating a million COVID vaccines to Canada at no cost to us. That was big news when that was announced. 
Yeah, it's a Moderna uh, vaccine doses. And this is part of, of course, the broader U.S. effort to donate vaccines right around the world to speed up vaccination. Uh, the perspective of the Biden administration is that while Canada is not necessarily a country in deep need, like many other places around the world, uh, getting Canadians vaccinated is key to reopening the border to everyone as quickly as possible. Still no timeline for that, we should point out, on the U.S. side. Uh, but they feel that vaccination and lower virus rates are, are part of that process. Mm, makes sense. Well, let's, let's talk about a milestone, a grim milestone that was reached earlier this week. 600,000 deaths in the U.S. attributed to COVID-19. Uh, was this acknowledged? Because it seems to me, you know, outside looking in, when you watch sporting events and, and hear about co- concert announcements, it seems like people have literally fully opened up and moved on. Was this really recognized, the 600,000 deaths? No, it wasn't really. You know, I think you're right. Americans have moved on. There's a sense that, uh, you know, the, the sort of worst is over at this point. Uh, and the, the number of sort of day-to-day deaths has really declined. I mean, the time it took to get from 500,000 to 600,000 was a lot longer than it took to get from 400,000 to 500,000. So there are generally signs of progress. And what's being marked and what's being celebrated here are reopenings. And we actually saw fireworks in New York State this week, for example, as all remaining mm-hmm. restrictions were lifted. Uh, here in D.C., all restrictions fully gone. You can go to a bar, a restaurant, they're full, no masks, you can sit at the bar again. Uh, Sporting venues have returned to full capacity. So it's very much life back as normal here. Did you see that announcement? I'm sure you did, Jackson, yesterday that uh, well, there was at least one venue um, where they would not accept anybody who's been vaccinated with AstraZeneca. Did that make any kind of splash in the U.S.? Because I know it's not, uh, you know, one of the vaccines that was approved for uh, use in the United States. Yeah, I think it is certainly going to raise questions long term about the U.S. border policies, right? If they decide Mm -hmm. to reopen the border but require proof of vaccination, will they do as Canada has suggested doing, which is only accept certain vaccines that have been approved in country? And if that's the case, you're right, a lot of Canadians and British citizens, for example, would be in trouble because they've been vaccinated with AstraZeneca, which is not approved yet in the U.S. Uh, I think that it is also equally plausible, though, that we get to a point where the U.S. says you don't need to prove vaccination to enter the U.S. because enough people here are vaccinated. Fair. Variants, obviously, a concern here in Canada, Jackson, and reports yesterday coming out of the U.K., 11,000 new cases yesterday reported in the U.K., and the majority of them were the variant. How much of a concern are the variants down south? They are here as well. Uh, They're making up about 10% of the cases right now. They haven't led to a surge in cases yet, but there's a concern that that could happen, especially in southern states. Uh, There are more than 100 counties in the U.S., and sometimes counties include major cities. Keep that in mind. 100 counties where less than 20% of the population is vaccinated. And then on the flip side, you've got states like Vermont, where 80% of the population is vaccinated. And essentially, the epidemiologists are saying those states and areas with low levels of vaccination are ripe for a explosion explosion in Delta-driven cases here in the coming months. But the U.S., as it has been all along, is sort of on a different timeline when it comes to the spread of the variants. And we're behind Canada. It's happening slower here at this point. Jackson, you mentioned earlier marking certain days and tomorrow will be one. Well, I guess today technically uh, is or is it tomorrow? Juneteenth. The the president has, has announced that Juneteenth will officially be a federal holiday in the United States. 
That's right. Tomorrow is officially the holiday, but of course, because it falls on a Saturday, the federal government was shut down today. And this is a huge milestone. You know, there have been people fighting for Juneteenth to be recognized as a holiday for decades now. It is effectively known as Black Independence Day, uh, colloquially, of course, in, unofficially, uh, and marks the end of, of slavery. Uh, and there have been people saying that for far too long, this date has not been recognized. And so both the House and Senate passed legislation honoring Juneteenth as a holiday. President Biden and Vice President Harris signed it into law yesterday, an important milestone that this day uh, going forward will now be marked as a federal holiday in this country. Uh, here we're, we're talking about perhaps what exactly Canada Day might look like, and I know you've got your big day down south July 4th. It is expected to be even more fireworks after uh, the, the past 15 months uh, this July 4th? There's definitely a back-to-normal vibe to it. So here in Washington, for example, they've brought the fireworks back to the National Mall. They're telling people to come down and watch them for sure. Of course, President Biden had set that goal of having 70% of the population vaccinated by July 4th. That's probably not going to happen, but I think things are in a normal enough space in terms of cases and deaths that most people will treat July 4th as normal. We didn't quite meet that 70% mark ourselves. We're still working on that, too. We can relate. Uh, Thank you so much, Jackson. Have a great weekend. Thank you, you too. Thanks. That's Jackson Prosco, who is the Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. And, you know, it's interesting to see these differences. And a lot of times on the text line, we get that. We say, well, why can't we have sporting events packed? Mm-hmm. We, we've basically done what the U.S. has done. And I don't know. I mean, you're hearing about these variants going kind of wild. I'm not trying to exaggerate. In the U.K., 11,000 new cases, most of them the variants. They have not had that effect at this point, or at least maybe it's a bit of a lag behind. And the U.S. far more vocal about their rights and freedoms and things opening up more quickly as well. We're a little bit more like that in Alberta, but not so much in the rest of the country. Absolutely. But, you know, speaking of that 70 percent, Mark, we are not quite there. As of yesterday, 69.9 percent <laughs> of the population vaccinated with first dose. Can you get any closer? 69.9. Come on. Wow. But that does mean, I mean, there are repercussions and consequences of that does mean we will not be fully open for Canada Day. That's the case. And now you revealed to me yesterday that Canada Day was Thursday, not next Thursday, but Thursday after. So, I mean, all eyes on that because we want to get together with family and friends. Sure do. And if Wouldn't you like to see your mom again? The full family? Are you kidding? And, And you say open for summer, that would include Canada Day. So expecting this afternoon, well, could be this morning, maybe hitting that 70%. Mornings with Sue and Andy, and as Canada reopens for business, a policy think tank is proposing that the government change some rules around employment insurance to help transition people back into the workforce. With more on what they're asking for and why, we are joined by Colin Busby, Research Director with the Institute for Research on Public Policy. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning. Well, what is it exactly that you're proposing the federal government to do? Okay, um, you know... You know, EI is for two things. EI gives you income support when you lose your job, and it also helps you transition back to work. And it does the latter, you know, in a few ways. But one of the key ways in which it does it is it does it by allowing people to take up part-time work when they're on claim, when they're on EI, and keep some of their benefits. So they get to keep some of their earnings from a, from a part-time job, and they get to keep some of their benefits. And, and what, what we find is that in a lot of cases, you know, it allows people to keep like a foot in the labor market, it allows them to keep up their, 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 their network of workforce contacts. It allows them to keep up good relationships with employers, to demonstrate to employers a willingness to work, and that, 
that that activity of just having a little bit of work per week can actually help people um, get back to permanent work. So what we're saying is, is the, you know, the way it works right now in employment insurance is basically on every dollar you earn, from the very first dollar you earn in a part-time job, you lose 50 cents of benefit. Um, and we're saying, well, what you should do is you should make that more generous. Um, you should allow people um, a certain minimum amount in which they can earn each week and allow them to keep all their benefits. Um, say, for example, like $100, $150 per week, allow them to keep all their benefits. And after that point, you can start clawing them back. But, but you know, it's a successful tool. It works. Um, it works in a lot of other countries, probably better than Canada. And we're just not, you know, utilizing it in a way where we should be utilizing it right now as we're trying to relaunch the economy. And, and so many people are trying to, to, to find ways back into the labor force after being out of it for such a long time. So, Colin, is it really just sort of all about then tweaking the transition payment to get people back into the job force? Yeah, that's, you know, it, 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 it's such a strong incentive, though, right? Like, like, like the way in which we, we set those payments and the way in which we, we allow people to, 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 you know, incentives, really, to take up those jobs and to take up that work. And often, you know, what you find, too, when, you, when you're coming out of a recession like this, when there's an, a new economic relaunch that, that there's a lot more availability of part-time jobs relative to full-time jobs because, you know, it can be tricky. There's a lot of uncertainty. So it, it, it's a real kind of transition element that in, 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 in the EI program that we haven't used effectively enough uh, and given more thought about how it can be used for people who've been out of the labor force for a long period of time. So there's, so there's dimensions to it as well. And then, and then, you know, Part of that transition payment, too, though, is that what you find is for a lot of people who've been out of labor force for a long time, who were previously employed in jobs for long periods of time. So let's say they've been paying into EI for 10 plus years and, and then, you know, now trying to find their way back into the labor force. There's other ways of doing it, too, for them that might be more successful than just this transition payment. There's, there's re-employment bonuses. There's things like wage insurance, which is a way of, of topping up their wages when they get back to work if they're earning less than what they earned prior to when they, you know, were laid off. So there's, there's all different kinds of ways of tweaking the payment mechanisms, incentives in the employment insurance program to get people back to work in a way that's just more effective. Colin, to a certain extent, well, we did not see this pandemic coming in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It's affected every corner of our society, economically, and of course, socially. Uh, I'm wondering, though, because there was a lot of talk surrounding EI over years before the pandemic. Is, is this perhaps the time to get things done since we've really highlighted it and, and make it right and make it a stronger system for Canadians moving forward? I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely it is. Now, now some of the issues that we're dealing with and some of the issues that were exposed by the pandemic were simply, you know, issues of IT infrastructure. Like they just couldn't handle the wave of applications into the program early on the pandemic. And that's problematic at a level that needs to be addressed. And that complicates things going forward. But nonetheless, you're absolutely right. You know, now's the time to do it. We should be making some serious fixes to the program. But, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's a it's a 40-year-old program for the most part, and, and it remains fixed in time because there's a lot of complicated, and, you know, being located in Calgary, you'll appreciate this, but there's a lot of complicated inter-regional transfers that are built into the EI program. 
notably towards seasonal workers in coastal regions. That makes it very challenging politically to redesign the program to better suit the broader swath of workers, the broader swath of unemployed Canadians. So there's all kinds of built-in components to it that created this kind of political rigidity that make it hard to reform the program without potentially losing votes in Atlantic Canada or in rural regions. So I'm, I'm all on board with what you're saying. I'm just saying we need to come up with some creative ideas on how to, you know, separate the seasonal component of employment insurance maybe from the program so that you can actually make advances in the, you know, the, for, rest, for the rest of the unemployed Canadians um, that tend to get overlooked. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long-winded answer, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely on board. Colin, what about those who are sitting at home yelling at their radios right now? Tweaks and top-ups, those cost money. We, it's not doesn't grow on trees, and we're in trouble already financially in this province and in this country. So thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I don't think it's a long-term costly program. You know, you know so, so yes, so you let people take a little more of their, their, you know, their part-time earnings now, and you give them a little top-up when they get back to the labor force for the first year they go back. But in the longer run, it pays for itself because you pe- those kind of people are, are less likely to, to get unemployed in the future. And, you know, to the extent that they continue to remain in permanent jobs and find permanent work, they're not going to fall into this cycle of future EI claims and this pattern of unemployment and employment. That's what we want to avoid. We want to keep them in the labor force. We want to find ways of keeping them attached to employers, keeping them attached to good jobs. Um, you know, it's a program and these little tweaks things, uh, I, I think when you're talking about ways of finding to get workers back in the labor force in a permanent way, those things are going to pay for themselves in the longer run in the sense that they're less likely to have future claims. Interesting and timely topic. Uh, thanks for your time this morning, Colin. Thanks for having me. That is Colin Busby, Research Director with the Institute for Research on Public Policy. And to me, that's uh, I put the question to Colin right there. We've we've talked for a long time about EI mm-hmm. and and strengthening the system and making it beneficial, but also making it not this you know safety net of dependence, so that you're encouraged to go. We want back people to, to work. Go back to for work. Sure. It's not just a handout. And I think this is one of those unintended uh, you know bonus consequences of the pandemic. Just because it works doesn't mean that it can't be better. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's been nominated as one of the best bathrooms in Canada and it's right here in Calgary. Joining us with details on a restroom you might want to hang out in for more than just the typical reasons. Joining us, Matt Blanchfield, co-owner and managing director of Kaylee's Downtown. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Okay, so the Canadian public has nominated their favorite loos, and this one is the bathroom at the new rooftop bar at Kaylee's downtown. First of all, congratulations on the nomination. And second, why? What's so great about this bathroom? Oh, it's <laughs> it's pretty special place, actually. Um, you know, it started with just a neon sign that said the alley that we found a spot for by the washrooms. And, you know, as a collective group, we kind of decided, well, let's make it look like an alley. And first we were going with some brick and mortar-looking designs. And we actually found a local printing company, and they were able to matchbook some graffiti prints from John John Lennon's Peace Wall, some other really cool features. Um, All the doors are touchless, which is nice because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We, We had actually planned that before COVID, but... 
I think with the, you know, the neons, the design, the function of all the bathrooms, the weird little cubbies for selfies for people, it's just, it's really unique. It's not something you'll see when we bring people around the corner to it. They're kind of like, whoa, it's it's just a neat space, something different. I know new to the scene, the rooftop is, is is it open yet? We're close. We're so close. We we've hired about 118 staff between front of house and back of house, and they are all in training, doing great right now. And we're hoping to do some soft, some soft openings next week, and then moving uh, into June 28th to be fully open to customers with our big launch July 1st. Geez, tough time during the pandemic, Matt, to get ready to open up a, a beautiful <laughs> new build. Uh, well, not new building, but a new rooftop patio. I understand it's the biggest in Canada, right? Uh, we're we're hoping we can take that for sure. We're the biggest weather managed one. Um, you know, we joke around that we're Canada's biggest umbrella, um, <laughs> and have some fun with marketing on that. But uh, yeah, the pandemic wasn't easy um, for any of us in the hospitality industry. I think. If anything, <laughs> the project probably wouldn't be here, but we started it two years prior. So um, it was too far to turn away um, or too far ahead to turn back on. And the year or 18 months of COVID actually allowed us to improve the venue a lot um, with great partners um, like Brett Wilson. He, you know, he's kind of a visionary. So uh, he did some really cool details throughout the space. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know, you're vying, you're nominated to be number one in the number two business. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what is the top prize, and uh, you know, uh, w- when is it given? When is the decision made? Um, it's coming up shortly. I believe it's at the end of the month. They're going to announce. Um, there's five other washrooms uh, amongst or spread out ar- across the country that we're competing against. And they're all really cool, unique, and different spaces. So, yeah, we're excited. Matt, you can use that line. I'm sure Andy won't mind if you want to uh, put up a plaque. I was just going to say, I'm going to put up a poster and a neon that says that. Number one in the number two business. Perfect. You know what? Uh, We'll direct people to bestrestroom.com because you can go on there and vote for your favorite. And, of course, it would be the rooftop here in Calgary. Thank you so much for joining us and and much success. We'll, We'll probably see you up there on the patio. Looking forward to it. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care. That's Matt Blanchfield, co-owner and managing director of the Kaylee's Downtown, Kaylee'sDT.ca, and the new uh, restaurant bar up top is called The Rooftop. The Oracle MC, I'm back once again. Don't think I am because I am not your friend. I got it going on like never before. I can do what you can do. Plus, I can do more on the microphone or even on those turntables. Don't mess with me because I'm willing and I'm able to do just what it takes to get to the top. I'm strong like Bacardi and you. You're soft like soda pop. So step off or feel the wrath of this gold. I do for rap what Elvis did for rock and roll. It's like that. And that's the way that it's going to stay. The rhymes you write in one month I could write in one day. Son. Don't try to cross the moat, cause stepping to me is like slicing your own throat. I grab the microphone and say, check one, two. Let's run your butt for cover. Here comes Hurricane Andrew. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.